if it's an on-market deal, the information is fairly accurate from the broker, but you just can't count on it. If it's an off-market deal, then all bets are off. Go in thinking you need to replace everything and be pleasantly surprised if that's not the case when you go do the tour. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patchland offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing follow along Friday. It is the first follow along Friday of 2018. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Joe. Thank you. And so let's go ahead and get rocking. How let's do we dive, do it? Let's dive right into it. So we're going to talk about how to evaluate a property in person before making an offer. Mm-hmm. So obviously when you're doing your pre-offer due diligence, you're underwriting on the deal, you're going to run your market comp, but you also want to actually visit the property in person before making your offer. So we're going to talk about kind of how you and your company approach that process. Mm-hmm. Well... I'm going to flip the script unexpectedly on you. How did you do that on your 12 units? I'll say what I did. And then while I'm telling the story, I'll say what I would have done differently. Because as most people who have been following my journey know, there are a lot of mistakes that I made that moving forward, I would do something differently so that I would not be paying as much in maintenance costs now. But basically, when they came on the MLS, I went and visited them in person. I kind of just walked through very high level and just looked at the overall not even necessarily like the condition from a deferred maintenance standpoint, mm-hmm. but just I wanted to see what the kitchens and the bathrooms looked like so I could figure out what I could, either if I needed to update them mm-hmm. to get higher rent, if I could just keep them how they were and have them rented out. And what I should have done instead of just looking at kind of the aesthetics of it, I should have looked at the big ticket items. I should have looked at the boilers, all of them, and seen how old they were. 
and if they were maintained, if I saw anything weird on them like duct tape or rust spots, because all of them were kind of jerry-rigged and put together by the previous owner, mm-hmm. found out later. I looked at motors on the garage doors to see how those, because they're fourplexes, so they have two garage doors in the back, mm-hmm. so this might not apply to everyone. One of the huge things that is still an issue to this day is plumbing. I would at least looked at the plumbing to see what type of plumbing it was, if it was a PVC or if it was the old cast iron, because mm-hmm. now I know if it's old cast iron, it's probably going to need to be replaced here pretty soon, and that's something I could do before having to have a plumber come in there. What else would I have looked at? Right now, it's obviously freezing cold outside, so I looked at the windows to see what the condition of the windows were, because one of the things I didn't really expect was tenants to reach out and be like, hey, it's freezing in here because these windows are so old, and they're drafty, and obviously it's not due to neglect, just because it's minus, you know, it's like minus five degrees outside a couple of days ago here. So I looked at that, essentially just looked at the big ticket maintenance items mm-hmm. to see what their condition was, because those are very, very expensive to fix. And if you don't look at those at all, and you don't, at the very least, put in a couple hundred bucks a month or per unit for CapEx long term, you're going to be losing money for the first couple of months when you get in there and you've got tenants reaching out about their pipes are clogged and because the plumbing is so old, their toilets are clogged. Mm-hmm. Or wintertime approaches and the boilers won't fire up. It costs like 10, 15 grand to replace a boiler or at least a couple thousand dollars to replace radiators. And those are all things that I didn't even think about at all. I was just focused on, okay, this kitchen looks pretty good. The countertops made a little load. I might need to put a thousand dollars into the new countertop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just say big ticket items is what I would have done if I was doing it now. If you were doing it now and you were looking at the garage door, you were looking at the boiler, you were looking at the plumbing, would you, with your current level of knowledge and expertise, be able to know if they needed to be replaced or would you need to bring in an expert regardless of whatever you see? I would need to bring in an expert regardless of what I see, but I would be able to tell with maybe 75% certainty whether or not something at least needed to be done. Now, what level of maintenance it would need, I wouldn't know, but <laughs> I could just look. Like, for example, I spent a lot of money fixing radiators. If I would have known what to look for at the time, all you just look at this little valve, and the valve is completely rusted over, then you got to replace it. And it was, like, you could see it with your own eyes. I just didn't know what to look for. Mm. Or the garage door, for example. The garage door that I replaced, it was very obvious that it was broken. The chain was laying on a pipe. The little knob up there was bent. So basically now, I wouldn't necessarily have to have an expert because whenever the boiler people came in, the garage door people came in, the plumbing people came in, I was with them. I'm asking like a million questions. Like, what do I got to look for? What do I do to like maintain these things at the end of the year? And after winter, what do I do with the boilers? Do I, do I have to bleed all the valves again? Do I have to evacuate the entire system? What do I have to do? So that was very helpful. And I think I'd be able to at least tell okay, these boilers are fine, mm-hmm. or okay, we're going to do something to these radiators or these pipes. And then I would bring in an expert after I put the property in the contract to kind of go into more details. Okay. That makes sense. And certainly you learned throughout the process. You actually learned a lot by not doing it the right way initially because now you know what to look for on your future properties and you don't necessarily have to be accompanied with an expert. When we look at properties... Prior to putting it under contract, I don't have the expertise of identifying all of the things that you mentioned. It's not part of my skill set. At least I don't excel in that area. So we always have a property management partner with us who tours it with us. Mm. 
so that he or she can identify any of those big ticket items. So let's take a step back though. When we go to an apartment community prior to having put in an offer, or at least prior to that offer being accepted, then we look for things and we seek things out that we can't find on Google or Mm. through the financials. So it's a matter of some sort of intangible information or what additional on-the-ground information can we acquire to complete the picture. Because we've got a picture already drawn up, but it's incomplete because we haven't visited the property and there might be some color or some other things we need to fill in. And when we visit the property, we first want to look for those big ticket items. And because that's not my primary skill set, or really even my secondary skill set, quite frankly, my dad is great at that, but that gene didn't get in me. The property management partner will tour it with us and identify the big ticket items if they need to be replaced. Now, usually if it's an on-market deal, the information is fairly accurate from the broker, but you just can't count on it. If it's an off-market deal, then all bets are off go in thinking you need to replace everything and be pleasantly surprised if that's not the case when you go do the tour. So one is the big ticket items that you mentioned. And then two is you ideally have a tour with the property manager. And when you speak to the property manager, you're asking questions, not that you have seen on the rent roll, like not what's your occupancy over the last 30 days, that's on the rent roll. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can ask it, but it's not that good of a question. A good question would be, tell me about your competition and what type of feedback are you getting from people who don't rent from you and they end up renting at the competition. Who is the competition? Because eventually you're going to go visit that competition. Mm-hmm. Also, the people who do rent, what are some of the reasons why they rent? Where do they work? what unit sizes are most appealing to them, what amenities, or when you show the apartment, what's the wow factor if there is one? What would you do different if you had a budget that was unlimited in order to attract more high-quality residents? And you'll get this feedback from the person. You also should ask him or her how long they've worked at the property because that will give you a frame of reference for their frame of reference. And once you ask those questions, you'll get a better idea of who's living there, what are they looking for, where do they work, and what the competition is doing to attract them, and what you're currently doing to attract them. And then you start getting the lay of the land for the on the ground stuff. Once you do that, then you want to visit the surrounding area. Depends on your market, but we go five, seven miles out and just visit the surrounding area around the property. The property is a dot in the middle of the circle and then go seven mile radius around it and just see what's going on. Specifically, look for the closest Walmart. And again, it depends on your market. Like Northeast people are like, Walmart? We don't have Walmart. (laughs) When you look for the closest Walmart or Starbucks or Chipotle, You want to look for when it was built because that also gives you a sense of path of progress. If it's a relatively new Chipotle or McDonald's, then you have a sense that these smart people in Fortune 500 companies have identified this area as a path of progress and growth 
and they plunk down a Starbucks or whatever right there, and maybe there's something to it. Certainly, it's not the end-all, be-all, but it's definitely an indicator of some sort mm-hmm. of potential growth because they've got access to a lot more research than we do. Yeah, thank you, Rainbow. Someone on your on your podcast before who was basically the Starbucks strategy, and one of his strategies was I look where the new Starbucks are going, and then I invest in that area because of yeah. the you know, path of progress and that they must know something I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're touring the property, you also want to talk to the residents. And the questions you ask are, what do you like about living here? That's assuming they do like living here. How do you like living here? That's the better question. How do you like living here? And they'll tell you. They'll say straight up, I hate it, blah, 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 maintenance. Or Theo's got these really thin windows and it makes me really cold. Yeah, (laughs) or whatever it is. And you'll get a sense of, the vibe, at least for this resident, and maybe ask a couple residents whenever you're there. That's the type of intel you can't get, or it's very hard to get, if you're not there. And the last thing you'll want to do when you visit your potential purchase is you want to visit the comps. Actually, there's two things. You want to visit the comps and you want to see what they're charging in rent. You already know what they're charging because you've done your due diligence prior to arriving and you know the rents, you're going to the property to verify that they are charging these rents and you get to see firsthand why they're charging them. What type of amenities does the property have? What's in the units? Are they renovated units? What type of renovation? What level of amenities do they have? Is it clean? Is it next to an area that doesn't look very safe? Those sort of things. And now the last thing that you want to do is you want to tour your potential property as though you're a resident. And you want to walk in the area, which will be usually the leasing center, as though you're a resident and you got to see things. This is what I first experienced. And again, you're probably going to update this stuff, but just get a sense of the community as it is. And there are some things that even if you update it, they're not going to move. Like, for example, if it's an apartment community and there's a big old leasing center right up front, you're most likely not going to knock that down and build another leasing center somewhere else. So if there's pros or cons about that leasing center being right there up front, then make note of that. Or if the leasing center is in the back or maybe it's right next to the highway Hmm. when it could be in the back, or it couldn't be and it's stuck there, then those are all things to take note of. You don't want next to the highway to be really loud and not very peaceful. Although there are advantages to that too, so you just have to look at it from a case-by-case scenario. But then when you go to tour the units, then when you go in the unit, you need to know what type of resident is going to be attracted to this unit and is this the resident that you're seeking to attract once you do renovations? Or if you're not doing renovations, is this going to attract your ideal resident? Some things I always look for, one is the closet. Mm-hmm. That's huge because with some of our properties, our residents, they choose to spend their money on cars and clothes and other items. And they have a whole lot of stuff. And having a large walk-in closet is a big amenity. And that's tough to change if you buy the property and they've got really small closets. It's going to be a hard change to make. So if it already has these nice built-in closets, then that's great. 
Another is just the overall flow of the apartment and what do you see first? How many bathrooms are there? Are they convenient to the bedroom? Is it an open layout? Is it closed off and boxy? That sort of thing. You'll find that these newer apartments that are being built in the last two, three years, they are smaller square footage wise, generally speaking, but they feel more open because the architects have evolved and the developers have identified we can do smaller apartments as long as you make them feel more open mm -hmm. and it's more cost effective for them to do it. So if you're looking at a 1980s, 1970s apartment or older, look at how boxy and closed in it feels or how open it feels because it's really about a feeling that the potential resident has when they visit the property and they can see themselves and their family living there. So those are all the things you do when you visit a property and we have a document that summarizes all this stuff mm -hmm. and then some and lists out the specific questions that you should ask the different people and if you email info at joefairless.com that's info at joefairless.com samantha will send you the document so that you have this when you tour a property to purchase a couple follow-up questions on the first step when you're obviously looking at the big ticket items and you're touring the property with your extra property management company. I'm assuming it'd be different if you're looking at a large apartment community versus a smaller like a duplex or a fourplex, just because from my understanding, usually for those larger apartment communities, there's like an offer period. And so you can kind of, you have time to schedule like, oh, you know, hey, property management company, can you come in this day or this day or this day at this time to come see the property with me? Whereas if you're investing in a smaller deal that just came on the market and it's like a, a quick rush and you're coming to MLS and you want to get out there the next day to see it and your property manager can't come out there, it'd be a little bit different. So what I'm saying is it might make sense for someone who's investing in smaller units to be better at least, again, being able to identify if something needs to be done to one of these big ticket items. Not necessarily what needs to be done, but if something needs to be done so you can make that decision, okay, I might need to replace the roof or I might need to replace the boiler. So I'm going to take that into account when I'm formulating my offer just because I'd be afraid that I'd miss out on deals because I'd be scheduled a plumber and a contractor and a HVAC guy to come in to look at everything and I schedule that with the owner and him having to get the tenant schedule so that they're home when we come to the property or do they approve it and that could just take too long. I know for these 12 units that I bought... It was just so quick. It was like they were posted. I saw them the next day. We put in an offer that day without having to bring anyone in. So I, I can just imagine it being slightly different for the smaller units on that first step. I don't disagree with you because I would never say it's not beneficial to have an additional skill set because that's what you're saying. But let me put an asterisk on this. And there's another way to do what you were mm -hmm. seeking to accomplish without acquiring that additional skill set. Because I know myself and what I'm good at, and I'm just not a mechanical person. That's just not in my nature. So instead, I'm really good at building relationships with people, and I enjoy it. I enjoy the heck out of it. So instead, what I would do if I were buying a 2-unit, a 4-unit, a 12-unit is... I would become friends with a local inspector in town. Mm. I'd buy him or her coffee, or I don't drink coffee, but maybe lunch or something, and we'd just be pals. And I would tell him or her, hey, if I come across a deal and I need to check it out, this isn't my skill set, would you be okay coming to the property with mm -hmm. me? And they would say yes or no. If they say yes, then great, they'd come. If I 
am terrible with people and I don't have a mechanical skill set, then I would simply reach out to some property inspectors and I would say, hey, I'll pay you $100 for an hour of your time if when I have a property, you come meet me and we just look at it together and you just tell me high-level thoughts, nothing mm-hmm. official. And I would approach it that way. That way, instead of me trying to acquire a skill set that I know I have no foundation for inherently, I would bring another expert and then team up with me and yeah. just give me their thoughts. Uh, that's great advice. I was going to say that too because now, once I've gone through this process, I have a plumber I could call or HVAC I could call. So the only time you really run into issues is if it's your first deal and you haven't been doing any type of team building beforehand. So that's why you should build a team beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Perfect. So again, the document that this conversation is based off of, you can get that. You email info at joefairless.com. All right. So let's move on to any updates or observations. I know you said you had a couple of observations from the holiday season. Just a couple. One is... Colleen and I were at a restaurant. We always sit in the bar area because we like the action in the bar versus (laughs) sitting at a table secluded. So we're sitting at the bar area, and Colleen's a raging alcoholic. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We're sitting at the bar area, and we've never been to this restaurant before. Not Cabela, but... I was getting those two mixed up. I would call it Cabela's. Anyway, I think that's an outdoor company. Yeah. Anyway, some restaurant starts with a C, and... There is clearly a regular who comes in because everyone's welcoming this guy. Oh, hey, you want your usual? Sure. Well, he sits down, and this is before Christmas. The regular comes in, sits down, and the bartender, who clearly has been there a while because she knows everyone, she hands this regular a gift. And he's like, no, 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 you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. What are you doing? No, 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 you shouldn't have. And she's like, no, I wanted to get you something for the holidays. And I thought that was so smart. It ended up being just a plastic big candy cane with Skittles in it. That's it. I think there's a card, too. Mm-hmm. A plastic candy cane with Skittles. Probably overall cost was $7 at most. I'm being really aggressive there on the price. Well, do you think she got more than a $7 tip for um, that? Yeah. I do, too. And it is the law of reciprocity. And she was so smart. I don't know if she consciously thought through this, but as soon as I saw I was like, you're on point, girl. <laughs> that is so smart. She proactively gave him something, and I can almost guarantee that she got her ROI and then some. Not only that day, but in the future, too. So it's just something smart that I saw a bartender mm. do to a regular. And it's something that we can all implement in our business. Even if we're not bartenders, we can implement the give, 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 give. And in some cases, in most cases, hopefully, you're not expecting to receive. You're not expecting cause and effect relationship there. But the reality is you will receive. Maybe it's not from that instance of giving. Maybe it's just from the universe or whatever. But I guarantee you're going to get a lot more in return. And then the second thing, and this is just a quick thing. I was watching the bowl games and Northwestern beat some school. I forget the school. At halftime interview, the head coach for Northwestern was interviewed, and the guy, one of his players, got kicked out of the game because of a targeting call. His defensive player allegedly hit the defenseless receiver in the head and got kicked out of the game. Well, it was clear that he shouldn't have been kicked out of the game. So the sideline reporter asked this coach, his name's Pat Fitzgerald, about it, and he didn't even address whether or not the person should have been kicked out. He just said, next man up. And I loved his approach because it's something that a winner does. 
A winner doesn't focus on if that person should or shouldn't have been kicked out. A winner doesn't focus on what may or may not have happened. It already happened, so now what do we do about it? And I just loved his quick comment because a lot of times when head coaches for football teams are interviewed about something like that, they focus on that in particular, and they're like, ah, I don't know. Or they might say, well, we've got another person, and hopefully they're ready to be ready. But Pat Fitzgerald said, next man up. And I know that's the approach that we need to take as real estate investors when stuff happens to us. Okay, yeah, the boiler went out, or a resident is calling about the windows. Okay, now what do I do? What's next versus sulking about, well, I should have looked at this during the inspection process. And I've talked about this just playing softball. My softball team where someone drops a fly ball, then they're pissed off about it for three innings. Well, that's just dumb. Just get over it immediately and then don't let that carry into other stuff. And it's pretty easy to tell if basically someone's success level as a professional and perhaps personal too, if they immediately move on and focus on how can that be empowering and move forward and that's the reality of what happened so whatever move on versus sulking about it getting pissed off and letting that affect other areas of their life or in this particular case a game that was a theme of that interview you did with jay williams yes Uh, that's exactly what he was talking about how he had that car accident and i'm sure the time period where he was very upset about that Mm -hmm. because obviously it would be but then he was able to kind of reframe it as something to empower him to kind of move past it and use that experience to become a motivational speaker, write his book, be a college basketball analyst, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, he's playing for Chicago Bulls and got in an accident. And then no more Chicago Bulls. Yeah. That's huge, but just keep on moving. And I was like the anecdote about the bartender with the gifts. In real estate, you're always working with someone who's an agent or a contractor or whatever. And so there's opportunities to kind of do that. And it's very, very inexpensive, but you're going to be at the top of that person's mind. It feels good to do it. It feels really good to get, too. What do you got going on? Well, I am moving in... I'm closing on my house in Tampa in a week from today. And then we'll be moving two days after that, so next Saturday. So we're kind of just trying to figure out things here, like, you know, packing and all that fun Mm -hmm. stuff. We did find a renter for our house, signed the lease, got a security deposit... So that's exciting. So we're going to be paying a, a mortgage in the house. So now I officially have 13 rental doors. So that's fun. And then, as I mentioned before, I put those 12 units under management. And I was kind of explaining to you beforehand how just how much better it feels to not be the person that's actually managing the property. Because my opinion, you're like a tactician, like actually on the ground doing the tactical work. But you can't focus as much on strategy. And I didn't really really even know it at the time. I was just always playing catch up. And I was trying to like fix this maintenance problem or collect rent from this person. But once you're not doing those tasks, you can focus on, all right, so what's the longer term play here? For example, some leases that are ending. And before I was kind of just like, hey, are you going to resign or are you going to leave? Because I was so focused on other things. But now it's like, all right, so maybe instead of just asking them that, I can say, okay, you've got two options. You can raise your rent to this. Or you can put in your 60-day notice and move out because, oh, you know, April, May, June's coming up here pretty soon. And so if they do move out, that's the best time to have someone move out because that's when most people are looking for renters. I had a really good strategy call with my property manager. We're kind of just brainstorming how to approach signing new leases because everyone's still on the old leases from the old owner. And a couple of ideas that we had that I thought were just kind of interesting that I wanted to share was there's 12 units, six are one beds and six are two beds. I'm trying to figure out are we going to do all new leases right away? 
Because if you do that, then they're all going to end at the exact same time. And so if you've got 12 people, well, let's say half of them want to move out at the exact same time, well, that's not going to be good. So what if we stagger them? So we just talk to these four people this month, and then the next month we'll talk to these four people, and the next month we'll talk to these four people. Well, actually, what if we did all the one better moves at the same time, and all the two better moves at the same time, or do half the one better minutes one month and half the next month? Because if you're going to have vacancies... At least from my perspective, I was thinking that you'd want to have the same type of unit vacant. Because if you've got a one-bedroom unit that's vacant and you've got it listed, you need to choose from four people who we wanted to pick for a one unit. Well, now we've got to choose from four people for two units. And so we've already got built-in people that are wanting a one-bedroom unit, whereas if we've got a one-bedroom and a two-bedroom, they're like, oh, I really want that one bed, the two bed's too big, and now we've got to find someone else for that two-bedroom. So that's just the idea that I had, and we're going to try that and see what happens. I want to bring that up to see what your <laughs> thoughts are on that. I don't that. know. I would think the opposite. I don't know, because I haven't owned a 12-unit and gone through this process. Neither I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that it would be good to have a couple different options. Yeah, I just know we'll have two bedrooms and one bedrooms, and one bedrooms tend to go quicker for every reason. At most of our properties and if I had kept it even then I could always plug in someone for a one versus try and always put people in twos mm-hmm. and you might feel more inclined if you don't have any one bedrooms but you have twos you might feel more inclined to lower the rent on the two bedroom just to fill it with someone who wanted a one but you didn't have a one. Oh yeah I don't know. It'll test it out. Not, yeah, my, yeah. not my money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious to see how it goes. It's just At the time when we were talking about it, I was like, Duel, I remember when we, when we had so many people that wanted the one better unit, and we had turned so many people away at the end that were qualified to live there. It's just, this person right here was the best candidate. So it'd be better to just be like, oh, well, you know, we've got another one better. Because we were telling them that, that we might have another one better open up. Because at the time, we planned on potentially having another vacancy occur, but it just didn't happen. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But like overall, I enjoy the strategy, strategizing, and then kind of having the property manager go on and implement and then come back and tell me, hey, this didn't work, or hey, this is going great. And since the property manager is still small, I just get to talk to him directly and we get to kind of figure it out together, which is fun. It's kind of fun to do that because we both don't really know what we're doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're just figuring it out together. And I think besides that, I was thinking of what my real estate goals were going to be for this year. And I plan on getting more details on it, but I want to double our portfolio this year. So we have 12 units last year, and we want to get to 24 by the end of this year. Outstanding. I'm going to dive in to see how many direct mailers have to send out or how many deals I need to look at, how much money we need to bring in to do that and figure out exactly the tax I need to do to get there. Mm-hmm. But I think if I can just keep doubling my portfolio every year. Cash out refis, once you start building equity in these first 12 units, then start doing cash out refis, and that will help you with the doubling process. Exactly, and I know that there are four units, so they don't necessarily, us raising the rents, doesn't have a direct relationship to the value, but I know it does affect it slightly, and when I was strategizing with the property management company, we're going to be raising the rents here pretty soon, mm-hmm. so I think that'll also have some effect on the value of the property, just because the area and the properties are doing really well right now, so hopefully you know, in a year or two we can cash out refi in these ones to mm-hmm. buy even more. That's more of like a, a couple of years down the road yep. to do, but it's still a really, really good strategy. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about that when I get there. Still a little way through that, so we're progressing my way through that. There you go. So, yeah, that's all I got for updates. Sweet. Miss Lillies, we've got the best ever conference coming up real soon. Yes, in about a month. Yeah. And you can go to besteverconference.com. There are all the speakers there and there's also a bigger pockets meetup. This isn't connected. We're not connected to bigger pockets. 
in any way, but there happens to be a meetup at the Bigger Pockets headquarters on Thursday, February eighth. Okay. If eighth is a Thursday, then that's the day. But it's the weekend of the ninth, tenth, so I think it's Thursday. Anyway, mm-hmm. Thursday at the Bigger Pockets headquarters there's a local Denver meetup, which would be really cool. And then we got the conference Friday and Saturday. Got happy hour on Friday night. All everyone's gonna hang out who attends the conference. That'll be a lot of fun. And then Saturday we've got a good docket of speakers and more so than last year this conference will be more networking and getting to know each other more more like small group sessions although there are a lot of speakers and uh, presentations also i think we sent email out to those that are attending yesterday with the speaker agenda yeah right yeah yeah and it's available at besteverconference.com the speakers and the flow of the thing exactly also, if you might be watching live from the Best Ever Show community right now, but make sure you go to Facebook to check that out and join the Best Ever community. And I mean, were you saying anything else? Okay. And one benefit of that is if we get a lot of questions to us or either sent to me via email or bigger pockets messaging or comments underneath this video if you're watching this via Facebook Live, and we're not able to get to all those questions. So what we're doing is we're also posting those questions to the Best Ever Facebook community. And today we posted the questions on some asset management questions that someone had. And Grant, who, someone, uh, attorney answered them? Yes, a multifamily syndication attorney. A multifamily syndication attorney who's a member of the Best Ever community answered these questions. So with all of our communities... It's a higher level group of investors that you'll be a part of. And as a listener, you're obviously in that category because that's what I found. People who listen to the show and engage tend to be more experienced investors. So go to Best Ever Community on Facebook and become a member and looking forward to helping add value to your life that way too. And to wrap things up, make sure you subscribe to the the podcast on iTunes and also subscribe to the YouTube channel for these videos and leave a review for your opportunity to be the review of the week. This week we've got Dana Dunford. The subject line was, it's called the best for a reason. And she said, this Cincinnati guy knows his stuff. His portfolio acquisition is impressive and he has an unbelievable number of impressive guests on his show from Barbara Corcoran to Robert Kiyosaki. It shows the caliber of Joe, the best ever. Thank you, Dana. Much appreciated. And I actually met Dana through the podcast because she will be a guest on the show. I've already interviewed her. Her episode has not aired yet. And she proactively left this review, and it was so nice of her. So thank you, Dana, and much appreciated. Best ever listeners, if you leave a review in iTunes, then that will help us attract more high-quality guests, which will help the overall content of the show and help you be more successful. So please do so. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got a document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. 
for investors by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.